0: Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and as a family, we seek to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our community. We hope you'll subscribe.
1: Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, and verse 16, and Psalm 51, verses 1 through 4. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Amen.
2: Amen. Okay, <clears throat> good morning again and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. I know uh, uh, one of the things that we have here at Redeemer Lincoln Square is we do Q&R after every service So it's happening tonight, uh, right after this service as well. Uh, those who are live streaming, you can stay on. Uh, the, the phone number is in the front of your bulletin if you'd like to text in questions about the service or about anything that's going on in, in culture or questions that you always have had. That's part of the dialogue that we want have going on. Now, we have um, started our Advent series recently, and I want you to know, I feel, I feel very nervous about this, you need to know that um, we didn't lose track of time, and we're not one of those crazy people, we're not a crazy group that right after Halloween, we, all the Christmas stuff goes up, and we have to talk about Christmas all the time. The reason why we're doing Advent right now is because the word, in Christian tradition, usually means just the four weeks before Christmas. But the word advent actually in ancient times was just the time that you've spent waiting before the king comes. And since you can do that anytime, because of that, uh, we feel like we could do it now. Let's bring it back. They did it of, of, of your, and now we can do it today. And what we're doing is we're asking, what would it be like if this king King came? What's he about? What, 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 how is he going to rule? And what we're doing is we're examining his nature and character by looking at this list that Matthew gives us in chapter 1 of his book. It's Jesus' genealogy. This is his resume. This is his DNA. He's basically saying, you want to know what I'm about? You want to know what my character is about? Read these names and you'll find out who I am. And now today we get to King David. King David... Uh, scholars point out that Matthew was very keen to link Jesus to David and we know that because actually in Hebrew we actually I don't know if you know this we don't have any of the vowels we have only the consonants of the Hebrew uh, words and so David's name in Hebrew is only three letters three consonants um, and if you give them numerical value his name adds up to the number 14. In this genealogy he's actually the 14th individual the 14th line and there's actually... The genealogy as a whole breaks down into three parts. Each part is 14. And David is at the very center of the 14. And in chiastic structures for Jewish uh, poetry, the center is the, the climax. It's, it's, the, it's the main point. So clearly, Matthew wants us to see David matters. He wants to notice he doesn't just call him David or Shepherd David. He calls him King David. But what's fascinating to me, and it should be for you as well, is that King David who's being a link to us here he's not just look what it says here Jesse Jesse, the father of King David verse 6 but then right after that says David was the father of Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife that whole thing has to be held together why does Matthew call Bathsheba Uriah's wife why doesn't he just call her Bathsheba it's a little curious we need to ask that question and I think the answer has less to do about Bathsheba and more to do about David because if you know the story about David, what happened is, is you go to 2 Samuel 11 and 12. He should have been leading his army. He should have been uh, with his, his uh, you know, commanders out on the battlefield. But instead, he's at home. He's, at, he's you know, on top of his, his palace. He's messing around. He sees uh, Bathsheba. He desires her. He has her brought to him. He sleeps with her, impregnates her. Then, to cover up his tracks, he brings her husband, Uriah, back from the battlefield, hey, tries to get him drunk to sleep with Bathsheba. I mean, this is like a soap opera, by the way, that, uh, that you could, you know, write about. Had, he brings him back. She, he, he, because he's honorable and doesn't want to be, uh, you know, um, sleeping with his wife when no, none of his uh, other um, folks from the army can do that. So he says, no, I'm not going to do that. So what he does is David has him murdered. He puts him on the very front line, tells his commander to back up so he's killed. Uriah, though, if you look up the name Uriah in the Bible, Uriah wasn't just a nobody. This was one of David's best friends. It's one of his mighty men. Over and over and over again, David was saved by this man when Saul was hunting him every single night, and yet he has him killed. And after he does that, you would think that he would wake up next day and go, what have I done? But he doesn't do that. He doesn't have that experience. He hid the, the darkness of what he did deep down in his heart he rationalized it he didn't see it and, and it, didn't, it was nine months later when Nathan confronted him that anything changed happened and so in other words the reason why Uriah's wife is named here is because Bathsheba she was the one who was being taken advantage of, of. she was the one who had no power in this, in this uh, whole situation and yet Matthew calls her Uriah's wife to link David to the very weakest and lowest part of his life why does he want us to have Jesus linked to David at his lowest point that's the question we have to ask and we can we're going to look at this in three parts David's darkness David's deliverance and David's uh, uh, difference actually let's do it the other way around let's do David's darkness David's difference and then David's deliverance so first David's darkness Um, What what do I mean by that? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons to live in New York City. I actually like sometimes, what I've noticed the past couple um, years, I've been making lists with people about what's so great about New York City. And you want to know what's on, that should be on your list, but probably isn't high up? It's this, ready? The bugs here can't kill you. (laughs) I'm I'm being dead serious. What kind of bugs do we have here? We have flies, we have ants, we have mice, we have rodents, uh, roaches. And, they, and, and maybe they can kind of bite you, but they can't kill you. Spiders and snakes and scorpions, some of those can kill you. And I don't think there's actually a lot of those in our apartments. There are no black widow spiders. There's no venomous snakes lurking in your, in your apartment. There's no scorpions that are, gonna, that are gonna get you and you're gonna not, never wake up from sleep. And I know you're like, what kind of trauma did Michael go through? What, what happened to him? But this is what's weird. Anytime now when I leave the city, anytime I go to somebody else's home, I can't help it. It's like automatic. I always look under the sheets. I'm looking around. I'm like, is there anything in there? And I don't just do the, the main one. I kind of look in between them. I look under the bed. If there's a closet, if there's like a dark closet, I go in there and like look around. Like, I take my, my, my phone light and I'm looking for these things because I don't want something to come out and scare me and get me. And you're like, Michael's weird. But... I actually think it's not that crazy. This is actually why you should love New York. But it's also, this experience could actually be said of our hearts. Because deep down in all of our hearts, there are dark places. There's the closets of our life. And there are snakes and spiders in there that can't, don't just bite you, they can kill you. And I think we hide from them. I think we bury them. I think we stay away from them. And if we open that closet, if we looked inside what we would find would surprise us. It'd be uglier than we thought. Now, because I think most of us would say, you know, if you do some self-reflection, you're like, okay, I'm not perfect. You know, maybe I mess up here and there. But you kind of pave over. You kind of you whitewash it. But actually, there is, underneath it all, there are things lurking in the deep. And I think that's what David found. That's why we printed uh, Psalm 51. Because what you see here in Psalm 51, look at verse 3. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He can only say that if he's like, I'm seeing the darkness of my closet right now. He's seeing the very lowest point in his life, which is what happened with Bathsheba. And what's going on here is he's saying, I can see the big, ugly, nasty stuff. Augustine does the same thing. If you read Augustine's autobiography, Confessions, he talks about how when he was 16, he went into a pear orchard and he stole pears from somebody else. He wasn't hungry. He didn't need to do it. But then he, he starts thinking about it. And he goes, Why did I do that? What was it what was in me to 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 need to take from this pear orchard to steal? And what surprised him was it was just this will to want. The will to do it because he wanted to do it. And when he looked inside, the scary thing Augustine saw was this sort of self-centeredness, this sense of self that was about I me. And now I think the line in all of our hearts is this: the difference between a healthy sense of self-esteem and then an esteem of self. The difference between those two things is like razor thin. In fact, I think we often confuse it. That's the problem in our hearts: is that you might not, you might never take and do what David did to Bathsheba. You might never be like Augustine and and take, you know, pears. But the closet in our hearts, in our lives are filled with junk. It's real, and it's there. Now, there, um, and what that means then, we're actually not that different from David and Augustine. Maybe to the degree, maybe in the degree that we're different, but the desire behind is not. I don't know if you've watched the, um, the, the most watched Netflix series right now is called Squid Game. And I know there's a lot of violence, so don't say Michael's saying to go watch it. But they spend a lot of time in Squid Game trying to show you that if you just create the right circumstances, people can murder. If you just put people in the right situation, they could do the most terrible things. There was another ver- uh, series, this is years ago, that I do recommend you watch. It's called Broadchurch, it um, and season one was amazing. because It was a uh, British show about a seaside town of, of just a couple hundred people, a very close-knit community, and murder happens. And the local uh, you know, detective is like, I know all these people. These people are good people. But the detective who comes from out of town says, give people the right circumstance and, that you, and put people in the right situation and, and, and they will murder. And she goes, no, 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 no. People have moral compasses. She actually says that. And he says, yeah, but moral compasses break. What's the point? Why am I telling all this? We must not be in denial of our darkness. And I think we are because everything we do in culture, in reality, paints right over it. That David, who biblically represents the best of us, if he was a Shakespearean king, he'd be King Henry V because he's the heroic one, he's the dashing one, he's the best of the best. But the point is if he's the best, if he represents the best of who we are, and yet he's capable of the worst, then that means... That we're in the same boat and I don't think many of us uh, recognize that I don't think we're actually cognizant I don't think we're, we're we it's ever before us like David says my sin is before me now I don't believe most of us in this room have ever had a desire to murder but I believe in all of those closets in our life I think we have had murderous desires David's darkness must remind us of our own first point
0: at LSQ we value questions and the people who ask them which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service each week. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and church leaders. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq@redeemer.com or join us for worship on Sunday. You can find out more details on our website by visiting lincolnsquare.redeemer.com/worship. Now, let's get back to this week's episode.
2: Secondly, David's difference—if that's true—one of the things that we're meant to do with David is ask ourselves, "What's the difference between him and Saul?" Because if you actually pair and show Dave, King David and King Saul, there's a lot of parallels. Both are kings of, of Israel. Both do some terrible, awful things. Both hide themselves from the, what they actually did. And yet, they, act, they, they both rationalize that sin too. And yet, God rejects Saul, but actually uh, gives David grace. Why? It doesn't seem fair, does it? Why, why, why does God reject Saul, but not reject David? And the answer the Bible seems to give us the only difference that seems to happen, it's not, it's not the stimulus, it's not actually what they did, it's that David repentant was repentant and Saul was sorry. David was repentant and Saul was sorry. And there is a difference, but I think our culture confuses those two terms. Because I, I don't know if you've seen this, I see this more and more. Now when you, publicly you see something happen, you know what, what the, the statement comes out? It's this, mistakes were made. There's no personalization. Or if it's, a, if it's a sports individual or somebody that, that, that there is an individual, you know what ends up happening? Some version of I'm sorry that you feel that way. It's usually like this. It goes like this. You know, yeah, my actions did this, you know, and I'm sorry that it affected other people. But they, what they really mean is I'm sorry you feel that way. And the problem with that is you might as well just take the sorry out because all you're saying is you feel that way. It's not, there's, no, there's nothing going on there. So let me, let me show you the two difference. There's two quick differences between sorry and repentance. The first is sorry is blame shifting and repentance is owning. It's blame shifting versus ownership. What do I mean by that? Look at Psalm 51. Look at all the personal pronouns. Have mercy on me, he says. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. This is right there, eight personal I mean, He couldn't go one or two words before putting his own name in there. That's very different than, <clears throat> I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry that you were affected by what I did. So I think you can see the ownership here, that you can't repent unless your, your actions become cognizant to you. And David does just that. Augustine, when he was dying later on in life, um, and he couldn't really get out of his house, he actually had Psalm 51 painted on his walls because this this verse, which I only gave you a couple verses of, sorry, this this psalm is the definition of repentance. It's ownership. But secondly, the second difference is sorry is self-pity. Repentance is self-emptying. I think that one of the reasons why uh, uh, we don't repent is because I actually think we do. But what we're actually doing is self-pity. That when you're in self-pity, you're sorry for the consequences of the sin, but you're not actually sorry for the sin itself. And, but we, we actually confuse it. We think we are, but we're really not. I'm sorry for what happened, but I'm not actually sorry for the reasons for why it happened in the first place. A little side point here. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a, a lot of people are doing... Um, a lot of work on their lives about the trauma that's happened to them and, and the, our life experiences. People are doing like, uh, you know, family of origin uh, discussions and conversations and discoveries. And I just want you to know, I think those, those things are really healthy. I, I really affirm people doing that kind of work in your life because I found this for myself. When I've done that, you can see why you do what you do. But there's a, I actually am a little nervous about this whole process because there's a subtle thing that can actually easily happen in this process, which is you can take these stories and you can use them to blame shift because what, here's what happens. You say, hey, here's why I did what I did. Let me show you how I got here. Let me show you the factors that were pressing on me to lead me to this kind of way of doing things. And that looks like a repentance because you say, hey, here's what I, you know, why I did this. But it's actually not repentance because it's still about you at the end of the day. Right? It's, uh, it's still about you, which is actually how we got here in the first place. Because all sin, the sin beneath all sin is this self-centeredness. It's this, the self. And, and repentance, real repentance is self-emptying, not self-pity. Notice in verse 2 for David, he says, Wash me away, sorry, sorry, wash away my evil, cleanse me, blot out my transgressions, have mercy on me. Real repentance happens where self-pitying ends and that can only happen when you're no longer thinking necessarily about yourself but who you've affected there's a um a scene in the movie 13 going on 30 very high class very refined great romantic comedy rom-com uh 13 year old girl magically becomes 30 and she realizes that she was actually awful when she was 13 years old and as a 30-year-old now, she goes to the boy that she was awful to, and it's, it's actually uh, brilliant. She just comes to him and says, it was me, I did this, I messed up, I'm so sorry. I think it's actually the power behind why everybody's loving Ted Lasso. There's a lot of reasons why people like Ted Lasso, but you really can't get through too many episodes where somebody uh, just comes out and no excuses, no questions asked, and just repents. It's breathtaking, because I, I think... We don't do that today, and that's why we it's, we want to watch it. Early on in in, in my marriage um, to Sarah, we've been married now 19 years. We just celebrated that, and the first year of marriage, what we ended up um, what, I, what there was a pattern that happened is that I would get pretty passive aggressive. I'm not now, but then I was. <laughs> um, but I was passive aggressive, and I had this pattern. I wouldn't get what I wanted. And I, would, and I would get kind of passive aggressive, and she'd point it out. She'd say, Hey, you're doing this. And, and because she was right, I would be like, Sorry, I'm really, I'll, I'll be different. And interestingly, every time I did that, nothing changed. Because I was sorry. I was sorry for what, though? I was sorry that she had to point that out and that I was being this way. But I actually, I, I might have hated the consequences of being passive aggressive that she was pointing this out. But the reasons for why I was doing it in the first place, deep down I knew why, I felt justified. I was not, I was not actually repentant of that. And I think David, I, what I love about this text is he shows us the reason beneath the reason. He shows us what's actually going on beneath it all. And um, we didn't have space to put it here, but if you go further down in verse 12 of Psalm 51, he says this. He says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It's a beautiful phrase. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And all of a sudden, it just hit me. When he said that, I'm like, oh my gosh. He realized that I lost the joy. I lost the joy. I forgot the joy that you saved me from, Saul. I forgot the joy that you saved me. You're the the author of my salvation. And when I forgot that, I lost the joy. When I forgot that, What what happened is David needed Bathsheba because he forgot that he actually needed him. He needed God. David needed joy from her because he wasn't getting joy from him anymore. That the root problem on why we do what we do at some level is because we've forgotten the joy of our salvation. I think think if David was here, he he would say the reason why I needed Bathsheba's smile is because I didn't have his smile anymore. And that means then, at some level, to finally and fully repent, you have to first remember what you've forgotten. You have to remember who you've forgotten. You have to remember why we're we're trusting in someone or something else other than him, which means then, all real repentance, if you're doing it well, eventually gets to, you have to, get to the fact that you have done it against God. And David does that here in verse four, against you and you only have I sinned. Which, by the way, you would think, Uriah's family was like um hello you kind of did it against us too you know my son's dead my husband's dead now and the answer is of course that that's true but David realizes ultimately it was against him because that's why I did that in the first place I never would have done what I did if I hadn't lost the joy first and then you can finally be repentant. That's the difference. So I actually think, why am I telling you all this? I don't think we're good at repenting. We're good at self-pitying. We're good at being sorry. And so before we move on, we need to ask ourselves, what do you think we need? I mean, it's a very basic thing. What, what, what do you think you need because you've forgotten your need of him? What are you needing? What are you looking for? What joy are you and I seeking right now because he right now is not currently our joy? Because I believe David's darkness and the darkness that comes out that you've buried, the the closets of your life are there and that you only, when you want to look inside, it's because those things are there because you're seeking joy outside of his joy. And until we see that, we won't be ever able to not just repent, but to change and be different. People always, you know what people like to say nowadays? Do better, do better. You're just going to push on my will. You know what I'm going to say? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And you know what's going to happen? Nothing. Ultimately, nothing. Because until you change the root problem underneath that all, which is finding joy outside of his joy. Okay, last point. David's deliverance. Some of, I, I grew up in the city, so I have a lot of non-Christian friends. They know I'm a pastor. And one of the things I get a lot, they say, you know what? Christians are weird. You guys always are sorry. You always keep repenting. I mean, you, Every service, you have this confession, and you're always apologizing, saying sorry for what you've done. You must have really low self-esteem. No, that's what they they say. And I wish I could show them and tell them, no, 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 I can only do this. I think Matthew said this well earlier. You can only do this when you can be like David here in verse 4. And when he says, I know my, uh, he says, against you and you only have I sinned. How can he come and confess and say that so starkly? I think the secret is actually in verse 1. What sets him off that his ability to even do the whole psalm of repentance is he's able to come to God and say, have mercy based on what? Based on your unfailing love. According to your unfailing love. And we pass right by that. But this word love here in Hebrew is the word hesed, which means unfailing, unconquerable love. Covenantal love that David knew. It was a kind of love that when God sets his love, this kind of love on you, he'll never stop loving. And he, so this is actually the secret. The only way you're ever going to repent or feel safe and and able to be honest, to walk with a limp, to be able to to, um, own up to who we really are, is we look at him and we see an unfailing love. What if I manipulated a a woman and tried to trick her? His unfailing love. What if I, I killed my lover's spouse? His unfailing love. What if... What if I, there's something I'm so ashamed of that I, I bury it so deep because I don't want the light of day to see it because I can't handle what that would mean for my life? His unfailing love is on you. The confidence that I, David has in God's love to me is astounding. How do you have confidence like that? I mean, I, personally, I think you and I could have more confidence than he did. Why? Because David only knew of the general mercy of God, he knew the stories of old. And yet, he's able to ask God to cleanse him and blot out his sin. The word blot means to purge, it means to de sin. And he's hoping God would do that. But he didn't know God would do that. But we do. Because in the person of Jesus on the cross, what's going on there is God saying, Your darkness is real, it has impacted you and others. It's destroying you and others. And I'm going to do something about it. I will pay, I will save. Now, shocker, by the way, if you ever do actually repent, you know what's happening? You you are owning, but you know what you can't do? You can't change what you did. David can't, his repentance here can't bring back Uriah. It can't demurder him. It can't fix the injustices of what you've done. But Jesus' work does. This is the mystery of the cross that somehow on that wooden slab The very nature of God, the the, the Trinitarian nature of who Jesus was, when he was murdered, when he was dehumanized, God who spun history into existence was broken so that reality could be fixed again. Maybe not today, but we have that assurance um, that already but not yet, that the kingdom of God is at hand. And that means every bit of selfishness that you and I do, the smugness, the the self-centeredness, the... The times when we uh, are fake to people, which happens a lot when you're, you know, when you're in contact. Oh, hi. That is not real. That is actually wrong. That's dehumanizing other people. We don't think it. We're like, oh, I'm just trying to be polite. Yeah, you were polite and you were wrong at the same exact time. Every single one of those things, Jesus took them. And if you realize that, if you knew what he did for you, the moment that realization impacts your heart, the chances that you would do that actually lessens. Because why do I need to do that? I don't have to do it that way. I have his love. I have his unfailing love. And when we confess, we aren't just saying sorry. Repentance is owning it and then changing in light of the fact that his grace means more to us today than it did yesterday. Sarah uh, works in a hospital. And a couple of weeks ago, she said to me, she said, um, there's a lot more cold and flu, and she was getting sick and, with, and, and sort of... Uh, just an exasperation, she said, no, it seems wrong that, that, that you get sick from the very people you're trying to help. And I, I thought that was actually really insightful. She's like, why is it that we always get sick from the people we're trying to help? And the answer is because that's how it always works. If you get close to anyone who's in need, that will impact you. you. The only way you can advantage somebody is by disadvantaging yourself. If you want to help a sick person, you have to feed them, you have to care for them. The chances that you will get sick happens, and that's what Jesus did. When he came down, he got close, so close that, he had to, that that sickness came upon him. But now that we're healed, when you realize that, you don't just walk out and say sorry anymore. You wouldn't. If you want to test for this, here's a quick test. How's your worship? How's your quiet time? How's your time with the Lord? How, how, how fruitful is your time in the, word, in the Bible, in, in prayer, here on Sundays? Because if you find yourself, if you find it stale, then it's possible that you're not letting his love impact you. It's possible that you, you intellectually believe in God's unfailing love, but it hasn't impacted your day-to-day. Because that's when reality comes home. It comes home when, when you know this, you will serve people in that love. When you know this, you will tell people of that love. The dark closets of our hearts are real, but the grace of Jesus that it becomes unfailing love in our life is even more real, and that beauty needs to smote our hearts. It did for Martin Luther. you ever get a chance, you should read the introduction to his commentary on Galatians. He says this. He says, what have we? Nothing to do? No, nothing. Only accepts him. This is what, that was his summary of Galatians. He was so overcome by joy. He, he goes on. He says this. When I heard those words, there came such a power over me as I cannot well describe. My great burden finally fell off in an instant. My heart was so filled with peace and love that I burst into tears. When I afterward went out into the street, I could scarcely feel the ground I was walking on. What happened? He had heard these words before, but they finally, he was tasting the sweetness. Today, you might have heard that Jesus died for you maybe a thousand times, but today you can let that grace impact you. Taste it and see it. Nothing else will will work. Harry Potter, uh, there's there's an elf named Dobby is freed by Harry, and he's been given a simple gift. And Dobby looks up at him and says this. He goes, I've heard of your greatness, but your goodness Dobby never knew. I'd heard of your greatness, but I never knew of your goodness. I think that's how a lot of us come to, the concept of God is he's great, but the reality is he's good. And I don't know how much we've actually let that reality penetrate our hearts. I pray, I hope that you see But the reason why we lacked assurance, the reason why we lack change is because we haven't let his goodness impact us. And by putting David's lowest point in his lineage, what Jesus is saying is, I'm not just great, I'm good. If I can redeem that, I can redeem this in our lives. Let that hit you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that We don't just know of your greatness, we know of your goodness, and we see it most readily in history on the cross, where your work was able to be applied back to David. It's what saves him, and it it can be applied forward to us. I pray we won't just accept this, but that we we would meditate on it, let it move our hearts to move us out in this world. Father, your grace is a concept until it, it becomes life that we realize that the joys we've been looking to, the little things that we've been going for aren't going to be enough, but you are. Turn our hearts to you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.
0: Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family, just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.